You hear over and over in the recovery community that resentment leads to relapse. And while that might be a bit harsh, it's also not far from the truth. Carrying around resentment can build up all kinds of negative feelings inside of us that can lead us to want to escape. In this episode, we talk about letting go of resentment by learning forgiveness. We talk about forgiving others, and even more importantly, forgiving ourselves. We also touch on asking others for forgiveness, because if you're like most of us, you've done more than a few things you need to apologize for. So listen as we explore what it means to truly apologize and to make the changes needed to receive forgiveness. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. All right. Welcome, everybody. We have an awesome lineup tonight. I'm going to have Alex go ahead and start with an introduction. Yeah, my name is Alex, Alex Brummel. I am currently in Omaha, Nebraska, born and raised in, I shouldn't say born, I was born in Iowa, but then I lived in South Texas for 20 plus years of my life. And then my family, 2007, 2008, um, came to Omaha as border towns in South Texas were just getting crushed by the recession. So been in the Midwest for about 10 years, been sober now. Today is actually my hundredth day of sobriety. So nice timing. Way to go. I know as you, as I was choosing dates, I didn't even choose this date intentionally, but my wife was actually the one last night that told me, Hey, tomorrow's a hundred days. I'm like, Oh wow. That's cool. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, those first 30 days crawl. And then after that, it's like, you know, you blink twice. And anyway, so yeah, I'm excited to be here. I have uh, my wife and then a bonus daughter, as I call her, um, a seven-year-old that's not biologically mine, but mine by all other rights. So yeah, just living the sober life and really excited to uh, be here tonight and kind of share some of my journey. And um, this podcast actually helped me especially first couple of weeks of sobriety, learning a new lifestyle and how to live this sober life, you know? So really cool. Awesome. Well, we're really glad you're here. Can't mm-hmm. wait to get to know you a little bit better. And so glad that this podcast helped you out. Really yeah. glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Eliza, would you like to go next? Sure. Thank you for having me and, and huge congrats on a hundred days. You're right. It definitely crawls more at the beginning and then it picks up steam. So I guess I'll start with sobriety date. I've been sober almost three and a half years now from 10, 16, 2019. I got sober when I got pregnant with my daughter. I was termed a, and I hate this term, but a chronic relapser. I could not stay sober. I did a geographical shuffle around the country, lived in like nine states trying to get sober and could not get sober and stay sober until I got pregnant. And then it was a race to very quickly figure out what to do. But fortunately, we did. And I actually just had my second child in sobriety four months ago. My husband is also in recovery. So that's pretty cool. We mm-hmm. uh, we actually met at a treatment center, but we didn't get together until many years later. 
and I always joke with the treatment center. I promise we didn't get together till later. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is really great. It sounds like you've really created an amazing life for yourself here in recovery. I'm so glad. So cool. I live in Boston, Massachusetts in the suburbs now. um, And I actually just over the summer took a position working for a behavioral analytics company that aims to predict relapse and improve the continuity of care for people in the aftermath. So it's really cool. Really, really amazing. Cool. Yeah. If you want to send some links for, for some of that over to us, we will definitely include those in the show notes because that sounds like some really interesting stuff you're involved with. And last but not least, we have Matt. Yes, I'm Matthew Morrison. Uh, live in right outside Ann Arbor, Michigan. 838 days sober today. Awesome. Yeah, good good stuff. Mm-hmm. I work, I'm a director of operations for a hospitality company, basically travel the United States and pretty much open up senior homes, hospitals, senior living. I'm currently in Long Island, New York. I'm based out of Boston. It's pretty much that. Uh, I am also a chronic relapser. I went to my first treatment center. I think I was 25, 24, and just never stuck. Always did it my way and just in and out of the program. Based pretty much my whole adult life. And uh firm believer that you finally just got to hit your raucous bottom because every time I thought it was rock bottom it really never was so just gave up and just started listening and shut the fuck up and here I am today so really glad you're here really glad you're here thanks awesome well tonight's topic is forgiveness I think forgiveness can play into recovery in a lot of different ways from forgiving others to forgiving ourselves. And of course, most of us did a lot of things while we were drinking that require us to ask others to forgive us. So what role has forgiveness played in your recovery? This is a heavy topic. Yeah, it is. I can go. Um, So I think, and this is sort of a taboo topic, but I think it's really important specifically as it relates to pregnant women. So I, the hardest part has been forgiving myself. I fortunately, I didn't really expect people to forgive me too much at the beginning. I thought my actions would eventually prove that. But by far, and the thing I still grapple with today is forgiving myself because I was not sober when I got pregnant and I did not get it a week later or even a month later. I was on the path and I was very serious about it, but I did not get sober immediately. And I think that that's something that specifically women really have a hard time with because we're supposed to be naturally mothers and caregivers. And that's a really, really taboo thing to admit. So what better way to admit it than here? Because I hope that, you know, somebody listening and, and maybe is struggling with the same thing, doesn't have the same experience. But, you know, I think it's, it's realizing that I was very sick, and that I was doing the absolute best I could with what I had at the moment. 
And every day I got closer to sobriety and we ended up both being sober months before she was born. And she's never known us a day using. So that's what I try to remind myself of, but I still really have a hard time with that one. And I would think that um, a lot of parents would be able to relate to that, even if not women, if their children saw them using, because it's kind of the same thing as having a mother and, you know, being a mother and being pregnant and having that experience. So that's the thing that I struggle with the most by far. I don't think you're you're not alone by any stretch. I have heard so many other women share stories that are really similar to that. And I think talking about it like you are here Mm -hmm. starts to release some of that shame because that's, that's what that is, right? That shame, the, when it's that hard to talk about, And I have talked to a lot of women who have done the same thing. I wasn't really drinking heavily when I was pregnant, so it wasn't a thing for me. But so, so many women are in the same position. So I'm really glad that you talked about that. And I think you're exactly right. It's it's acknowledging that you were doing the very best with what you had at the time. And I think for a lot of us, that's how we start to forgive ourselves is just that statement, just giving ourselves that grace. I think we have to give ourselves that grace because the outside world is like, well, you're pregnant, just quit. It's that easy. And it's not that easy. You know that. We all know that. It's just not that easy to put it down or to stop using. That's why you have to say, I was doing the best I could with what I had with where I was mentally because it's definitely a mental health thing right absolutely i mean if it was that easy we wouldn't be here today no (laughs) right and there wouldn't be so many of us either nancy reagan didn't she just say just just don't do it or what was her slogan just say no just Just say say no no. Yeah. yeah one of my favorite uh quotes from this naked mind a book that really helped me through sobriety was a lot of times in our society, we, we choose to blame the beggar and not the bottle. And the, the adage is, you know, you see people walking down the street and she uses Las Vegas as an example, people walking down the street in Las Vegas, walking past a homeless man who's clutching a bottle, you know, and that's his only possession in the world. And he's clutching onto that thing for dear life. And people walk right past the the beggar and think, oh, God, that can never be me. While they go to a bar and ingest the same exact toxin that that gentleman is holding on to for dear life. You know, our our society has a, a tendency to blame the beggar and not the bottle. And that's something that has helped me at least find grace in the fact that, you know, this this substance is a it's a toxin, it's a poison and it's an addictive one. And it's not, you know, none of us woke up and chose to make poor decisions because of this substance, but we all kind of wound up in the same boat and, you know, here we are. So, And two, we can't quit for anyone but ourselves. I think there's, everybody thinks, you know, why can't you quit for your kids? Why can't you quit for your family? Why can't you quit before it gets so bad you're losing your job or you got a DUI? We can't quit for anybody but ourselves. 
And so if we're not in a place where we believe we even deserve that and, you know, you get into all of that self-worth and that just the, the mental health aspect, if we're not in a place where we can quit and want to quit and believe we can quit for ourselves, we're not going to be able to quit for anyone else, whether it's because we're pregnant or because our family needs us to or whatever it is. Um, and that is just the nature of addiction, I think. And understanding that, I think, goes a long way in, in self-forgiveness, too. Unfortunately, to, to echo kind of your point, and it's before I had pieces in place leading up to that that helped me find some self-worth before that. So I had, um, after my last treatment center, I was put on MAT, um, another controversial topic for you. And, but I'm a, I'm personally a big believer. And I think whatever saves lives, if it's, if it's 12 step, if it's God, if it's exercise, if it's MAT, it doesn't matter to me. If it works for you, that is awesome. And then that enabled me to get a career again that I really loved. And I got married and yes, he was drinking and I was using, but we had all these other places and our, all these other things in our lives that we cared about um, and we didn't want to lose and that were giving us some, some agency and some, some sense of efficacy back. And so when we finally did that, we were expecting a child, I had enough belief in myself that I could do it to get my act together for lack of a better phrase. And I had the resources in place because I had been around and trying this long enough so I knew who to contact and what to do, which I would not have known had I not been to all of those treatment centers. So I was, it was in an advantageous position at that point, thankfully, um, and believed that I could do it. Yeah, that's really good. I think as controversial as it could be anything, really, depending on the way we look at it, but I think recovery, your recovery is is as unique as your personality. I think everyone's is. There's no one that is going to follow the same path, the same journey. It is yours and yours alone. And it's who you get to bring along with you, who you choose to bring along with you, who crosses our paths, right? That's kind of the beauty of this whole, the whole recovery community we're all a reflection of ourselves and unique at the same time. Mm -hmm. I like that. And our recovery is that all on its own. So I got to thinking about this and I think I couldn't forgive. I had to start for trying to forgive myself before I could forgive even others. I had to really self-reflect and stop playing the victim of my own alcoholism and then start realizing that I was a product of it and the events that happened were a product of that and the decisions that I made. And then as soon as I could start really admitting that, yes, this is what happened. This was my fault. How can I accept this and how can I work through this? And regardless of whether that was me apologizing to someone else for my own actions and for my own decisions, I still had to be okay with it myself to even reach the point where I could start asking for it. There's a lot of power in taking responsibility for the things that we need to take responsibility for. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that we don't even want to own. Well, again, going back to shame, but we can't forgive ourselves or others if we don't first just 
own that stuff as hard as it is. Eliza brings up, you know, the children and my, my children, my two young girls for the first four years of their lives, I was a drunk father. So that, that plays a lot in it. And I've shed a lot of tears over that. I couldn't even say the word, the words, I'm a good dad. Like those were almost impossible to get the words out at one point and to even start trying to forgive myself for that. I had to talk about it as ridiculous as sometimes it sounds coming out of my mouth. I had to talk about it to even start and I'm not even fully there yet. I'll have my days where I have a really hard time with looking at myself in the mirror when it comes to that fact. Mm. Yeah, Steve, that, it's good. I totally relate to that. I mean, going back to just the way my brain works and going back and thinking and playing that tape back of how shitty of a person I was in my active addiction and thinking about forgiveness, you know, I, I look at it, you know, kind of twofold. I, I can't imagine that people are actually forgiving me. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. May it be family, relationships, work. But it is it is a struggle sometimes, you know, you know, trying to make amends or even asking for forgiveness to people because is it really genuine? You know, I'm an alcoholic. I, I can say I'm sorry a thousand times and not mean a damn word of it. I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. I'm great at lying. You know, I should yep. have been a car. <laughs> you know. So, you know, for me right now, it's it's about digging deep and you know, am I even ready to even ask for forgiveness? You know, because as I'm sure everybody, we've done some pretty shitty things in life. And we treated people very poorly. But like I said, if it wasn't for forgiveness, I, I wouldn't be on this podcast. Uh, you know the, the people that picked me up unconditional love you know that's forgiveness yeah you know and that's my struggle is just loving myself enough to go and be heartfelt about it and saying you know what i am sorry you know and they may forgive me they may not you know Some things are unforgivable in some people's eyes, you know, even family, friends, you name it, you know, and I can't judge them on that. I can't judge them because they're not going to forgive me. I'm the one that, you know, fucked it up. So I think there's a real vulnerability in approaching somebody, especially when you really deeply care about the outcome and bearing your heart. And putting it in their hands of whether they forgive you or not. And it does trace exactly back to what you said, where it's, are you okay with the outcome no matter what it is? And can you still forgive yourself? Another interesting point about lying in, in addiction or in whatever somebody's substance was, doesn't matter. But in... I know that I 
lied so many times that by the end and every time I was, oh, I'm cured, I'm better, I'm done, I'm so sorry. And it was always because I wanted, it was transactional in nature because I wanted something out of it usually. Um, And so the last time I knew things were really different because I wasn't asking for it. I was waiting for my actions to change the relationship and to prove to them that I really was sorry and and am sorry. And, you know, I've done probably the worst stuff to my mom, honestly. And, you know, she's a great mother. She loves me. She kept forgiving me. She kept showing up for me. She was rightfully incredibly critical and harsh with me at times, but kept showing up for me. And it's taken her the longest, I think, to come around because she heard it the most. Um, she right. heard false apologies the most and the lies the most. Um, and it took you know, probably two and a half years for things to truly be different there. Yeah, I think that for me, that that is that was key is there's no timetable on forgiveness because I know fresh out of rehab so many times I would get out. And be like, you know, I'm cured, staying on my soapbox, everything's fine, rent's paid, everything's good, look at me. And there's all this debauchery that I that I created for the last two years, and people are hurt and people are are damaged because of my actions. But I'm fresh out of a 90-day program where I'm fresh out of jail, and I'm like, look at me, forgive me. And it's, it's not how it works. So now I've learned that there's no timetable. And I had a great counselor at my last treatment center. And, I you know, we want that instant gratification. And I'm like, well, I, I, I need them to forgive me now. I, I need that now. And she was like, you know, it, it it's time. It'll take time. Just, just show your sobriety by your actions. They'll come around not everybody's came around right away, you know, but I was the first one to stand on my soapbox and be like, look at me. It's 90 days. I just did 90 meetings, you know, look at me, but everybody else is picking up all the pieces of the shit that I just caused. Right. Right. You know, but that's my brain going, you know, just, you know, I, I was raised to sweep everything under the rug. You know, dad got drunk, fell down and just don't tell anybody and everything would be fine. You know, so um, that forgiveness piece of not everybody's going to forgive you on your on your timetable was was real tough for me. And, you know, it's been over two years and some people are still looking over their shoulder. You know, they're waiting for that other shoe to drop mm-hmm. yeah. because like like you, Lisa, the track record for me is, you know, relapse, have a year, maybe six months, maybe three months, then go back out. So, you know, some people that have been in my life, you know, 20, 30 years, just waiting for that shoe to drop. You know, it's going to happen. And pray to God, it'll never happen. It was my last relapse. But, you know, it's very hard to for me to recognize that I have to give them time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's Steve found a quote 
an apology without action is just manipulation. Is that how that quote goes? Pretty much. And I can't tell you how many times I apologized to somebody just because I wanted to fix it so we could move forward. Like we could move on and pretend it never happened, like just to make myself feel better. Right. It was never about them. It was never to try to actually repair anything that was done. It was just a quick, I'm sorry, because I wanted to feel better because I felt guilty. And if I said, I'm sorry, then I would feel less guilty. It was all about me. And to recognize that and just understand what a real apology is, is completely different and very eye-opening. Yeah, real apology isn't about you at all. Right. It's it's easy for that apology to ring hollow also when the person issuing the apology doesn't really think it's their fault to begin with anyway, you know. Mhm. Mm it was the booze's fault. You know, I've I've ruined relationships because I was wasted and said really hurtful and bad things that I I don't remember. And come on, man, you can't hold that against me. I don't even remember saying it, you know. Well, that doesn't take away that memory in their head of you saying the really terrible and awful things that you've said. Mm -hmm. My journey into sobriety uh, came to me through getting too drunk on my wedding night and uh, not making it to my wedding reception and uh, robbing my wife of her first dance with her father and robbing my mother of uh, her first dance with me and robbing my wife of our first dance together. I mean, there's a lot of things that is really hard and, if I'm just being as honest as possible, I, I'm not completely there yet on the forgiveness side with myself. It's interesting that I, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression for a little over three years now. So I had done a lot of the legwork internally to get to a good mental state pre coming into sobriety. So I kind of took an interesting path into all of this. And, uh, you know, to wake up at one o'clock in the morning, last thing you remember is you're at your wedding and now you're on the couch with my dad who's crying and he's, you know, my wife is understandably pissed and I'm thinking to myself, am I going to be 24 hours into a marriage that's you know, ending in divorce? You know, I mean, that's, it was really, really tough. And that ultimate rock bottom, um, is what ultimately led me here. And to think back on all of the apologies that I gave to her stemming from things that happened because of alcohol use, it was never a really true apology. You know, I never really thought that it was my fault. It was just the booze, you know, sorry, it got away from me. You know, mm -hmm. can we move on? Can we forget that that ever happened? And and that's not a how apologies work, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. So on the flip side of that, what do you do when you're the one that's struggling to forgive someone else? <laughs> because I find myself there every so often, like that is some major resentment, right? I mean, I'm not AA, but I know as well as everybody else, like resentment re leads to relapse, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what they say? So I know there are definitely situations where I struggle with forgiving other people either. And sometimes they've asked for forgiveness and I just don't have it in me to forgive them. And then there's also the times where really we're kind of owed an apology um, or it would be, you know, 
the right thing for the other person to do, but, but then, you know, you're never going to get that apology. How do you forgive that person enough to like move on and not sit there in resentment all the time? So the, the biggest thing that comes to mind for me, my neighbor shot my dog. That happened too. That's like ridiculous that that happened to somebody else. I am so sorry. That is horrifying. Thanks. Yeah. It was, um, it was devastating. It was, it's a long, long story, um, but she was my most beloved dog and my neighbor shot her and it was a really awful, horrible situation. And that man is a really awful, horrible person who still lives just next. I mean, I say next door, we have property, so we're pretty separated. So every time I go for a walk, I walk by that house and I walk by that field where my dog was shot and like the amount of resentment that I carry and the amount of sadness and anger, like borderline rage is really unhealthy. And I recognize that. I just like, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I would love to come on here and be like, I have mastered this, but I have not mastered this. He still does things just to torment me occasionally. And I go from zero to like 100 rage in an instant. And I don't know how to, I will never get an apology. I, but somehow I have to make that okay enough that I can, I don't know if it's even forgiveness. I don't know what that is. I think it's acceptance at this point. Is that what that is? I, I, I think you just, I was going to talk about that part too. Like at some point, if you can't reach forgiveness, because I don't think you're going to be forgiven for everything. I think you have to accept the fact that it might not happen. I think you you have to accept the fact that you might not forgive someone else either. Yeah. I think that plays a factor. I think that's the difference between acceptance and forgiveness. Forgiveness is is an action that you're going to like forgiveness is an action. Mhm. Right? And and I think acceptance is up here. It's up in your it's up in our in our heads. It's, I think it's part of the mind game because I don't think acceptance is an action, is it? You don't think it's an uh, an action? I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm like throwing the question out there. It's like super I philosophical. I know. <laughs> I get that way You're sometimes. Not that smart, bro. I don't know. I mean, I think it's an action. <laughs> Forgiveness to me. So I actually wrote down some thoughts on on this. To saying forgive, I forgive you, means I can understand how this transgression happened. And I trust that it won't happen again, or at least that there will be some improvement or sincere effort. So to me, when I say I forgive you, it's I expect an action. I guess for me, acceptance is I work that out in my head to make it okay enough that I can live with it without reaching the point of rage. Right. So go ahead. Honestly, I think acceptance is where you have to get to for you to like be okay with your life and not be eaten up by this. One of my favorite quotes about resentment is that resentment is like drinking the poison and expecting someone else to die. Mm -hmm. And it's just eating you up and the person's walking around living their life. Like they don't care, or they're getting some sort of sick enjoyment out of it, which in this normally I'm like, there's no way that's what's happening. But in this situation, that could be what's happening. And so for self-preservation, I think it's just reaching a point of acceptance. And 
I don't have anything that drastic. I don't have any example even remotely close to that. All of my examples of forgiveness have been where I've needed to forgive somebody else have been just the more time that I've spent sober, I've been able to kind of put things in perspective. But again, these have been minor examples and nothing remotely close to that. I don't think that I could or would want to or have any interest in forgiving the person in that circumstance, because I also think some aspect of forgiveness, unless you're doing it so that some of the emotions not eating you up inside, I think it does end up benefiting the other person as well, as well as yourself. Yeah. Forgiveness is a two-way street. Acceptance is a one-way street. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I was raised in a very Christian household, um, in a Christian school, where you're expected to always forgive. That is just the expectation. If you don't forgive someone, that makes you a bad person. And just the idea of that not being a requirement is kind of freeing to me. I've never even thought about this before, but the idea of maybe I don't have to forgive him. Maybe I just accept that it happened. And yeah, I mean, not that it's that easy, not not by a long shot, but that has always just been the expectation or, or even like quote unquote requirements is that you forgive always. Maybe that's not always necessary. You guys have me thinking. I don't even think that's healthy to always forgive in certain circumstances. I think it's not. Um, But I can absolutely understand how that upbringing would make you feel like you need to always forgive people. Like, of course, but absolutely circumstances that don't warrant forgiveness where it's actually detrimental and and unhealthy to forgive somebody because you had mentioned that the expectation there is that things are going to change. And if you blanket forgive somebody with the expectation, knowing that things aren't going to change, then you're just right. setting yourself up to be hurt again. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is exactly right. This is a really good conversation for me. Yeah, I think for for me with that is, you know, almost being that doormat in a way, because I feel like I forgive very easily and I think it's a, not a barter system in my head, but I know what I've done in my life and I've been forgiven for a lot of things. So when someone wrongs me or I have resentment, I related in my head of, well, it wasn't as bad as shit that I did, so I should forgive them, which in turn has kind of turned me into a doormat in a way of people constantly using the system in a way so to say mm-hmm. um so like you said it, it's not very healthy to always forgive and i gotta learn how to draw that line of you know what i need to hold on to this one for a while and let their actions show me that they're they're worthy of it that's the whole boundaries piece right right exactly which I suck at. Which is then the doormat piece, because if we suck at boundaries, we are phenomenal at being doormats. And great at being a people pleaser. So, yes. But... <laughs> hand in hand. It's your coping skills. <laughs> it's a vicious circle. It is, isn't it? 
It is. You think you get one, and then you're like, shit, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, missed that one. Yeah, right over. Another thing to work on. It's never ending, Matt. It's never ending. Never ending. But I'd rather be doing this self-care and everything else than that rabbit hole of where am I going to get my next drink? How am I going to sneak it? How am I going to get away with it? Can I go out to my car for 10 minutes and return to work and throw Altoids in or whatever I got to do just to get that little, that little edge. Well, I feel like this is something we're going to say on this podcast because Melissa said it is, I think it's going to be a regular thing now because it's brilliant. And that's just what you're talking about, Matt is if you, you know, you go back to the bottle, you know, what's on the other side of that, but you don't know what's on the other side of not, Right. Right. You don't know what's on the other side of that forgiveness or, you know, not picking up the bottle and just facing it. Right. Even if you're the doormat again and again, you know what's on the other side of that bottle. You don't know what's on the other side of trying, trying to set boundaries another time to see if it's going to change or whatever that may be. The self care, the, the rest of that, some of the, whatever that may be face masks baths you name it like all ice of that stuff. ice bath i've haven't done one of those yet i did a <laughs> cold one i was just talking to my colleague about that i was like I've, you see that on two of these guys are jumping in a tub full of ice that just doesn't seem cool and yet it seems better than going back to drinking right <laughs> absolutely 100 <laughs> yep and then if you listen to like huberman labs podcast he talks about the dopamine release from doing an ice bath. That's like, it's a three hour slow release. I caught this. It's like a three hour slow release of dopamine after you do that. And it's just like, actually kind of cool. The whole right. bunch of scientific neatness that goes along with that ice bath that I don't know that I'm willing to just hop in an ice tub and find out what that's like. I'll I'll take right. a sauna or a hot tub. <laughs> right. Ice, you know, ice baths are not fun. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> I I can tell you one thing that um, it's not really struggling with, but I'm trying to wrap my head around it on forgiveness and things I'm writing down of people and forgiveness. And I remember the day before my last drink or that morning before my last drink in Philadelphia airport, when I got on that plane to go to treatment, you know, I mean, um, last day. And I remember praying to God that my plane would crash. And every, and I remember saying, I don't care who dies. Just, I want to, I want to fucking die. And as I'm like checking people off my list for forgiveness and amends. And I'm like, all the people on the Delta flight to Philadelphia. And I'm like, you know, and I'm I'm kind of struggling with that. Like, how do I ask for forgiveness for people that I've never met? And I'm like, I'm losing my mind here. Like, this is silly. But I feel like I have to internally forgive for wishing that upon 250 people on a plane. I know that sounds mental, but... I don't think that sounds mental, dude. Because for me... I remember wishing 
other people would get hurt. I remember wishing other people would get in car accidents. Other people would, <laughs> my wife at the time, coworkers, like that was stuff that went through my head because I didn't want to have to deal with them. And then, but I didn't have, you know, I wasn't a violent drunk. I wasn't a violent person in my head. The violence was going to happen to them from someone else. So it wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. And then I wouldn't have to deal with their presence in my life. Like that's how selfish that was. Right. Right. I completely relate to that. The only way I look at that is, is it was just a wish. True. I, I I never really took any further action to make that happen, to really harm them. I mean, I already caused the harm to those people just by the choices that I made, but I can relate to that, Matt, because I wished harm on other people. So I wouldn't have to deal with the stress that I thought they were causing me. Right. If it makes you feel any better, Matt, I've too have been on a plane violently hung over questioning all of the decisions that I had just made from a bender and um, wishing that the plane would go down as well and not really caring who was on it or the Pope could have been on that plane. I really wouldn't have cared, but I wanted that thing to go down. Because I knew when I touched down back home, I had a whole pile of shit to eat, and I was not ready for that. And I've never thought about, gone to the point of like, I need to ask those people for forgiveness, but I completely understand <laughs> what you're saying, you know what I mean? And your your brain does these gymnastics, and there's a, a right. lot of... Uh, the more scientific you get into it about the effects of alcohol on your brain and how your synapses fire and and how your neurons connect. And there, it, there's some interesting studies into that as well and, and how it does just impact your brain and put you into such a foggy, horrible place to where it doesn't matter. I just want this to be done. I just want mm-hmm. it to be over. I, I don't care anymore. And if it takes out other people also, sorry, you got in the crossfire, you know, which is horrible right. to say now a hundred days into sobriety, right. you know, <laughs> I, I don't wish that upon anyone, obviously. Um, and I, you know, knock wood never have to be on a plane that's going down, but I, I've been there, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. Just illustrates how bad we all got. Sometimes when you get random people in a room, one person decides to be vulnerable And he ends up hearing two other stories that are similar to the same one he just shared. And you all feel just a little bit less alone because I know I do after listening to you guys. And here we talk about forgiveness. And I know after this, I feel a little bit better because I already have the little tingles. Alex, you talked about society and blame the beggar, not the bottle. And it's just, that's that stigma we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for forgiveness, Matt. You said that. And you also said loving myself enough to be heartfelt about it. And that's about that forgiveness and about that apology. Eliza, you shared a really vulnerable story about your pregnancy and working through that. And I think this podcast got really, really personal. And I really want to thank 
all of you guys, Alex, Eliza, and Matt, for coming on here today because there is no timetable for forgiveness. And I think sometimes we just have to accept things for the way they are. So thank you guys for being on here. Thank you for your thoughts. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You guys are great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and that it gave you some things to think about. For more thought-provoking content, check out our Instagram at Through the Glass Recovery. And be sure to tune in next week where we dig into the topic of perfectionism and how the pressure we put on ourselves can be dangerous to recovery. <laughs> <laughs>